listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I'm going to tell you something today, people. Um, my guest today, you know, she's best known as Vivian Banks from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which you can see the reunion show on HBO Max right now. But during my research, she has done so much more. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. She's been on the cover of Glamour. She was a homecoming queen. She makes masks. She makes overcoats. She has a book of photos of doors, even a cookbook. It's amazing. And I'm very excited to have her. And my guest is Daphne Maxwell-Reed. How are you doing today, Daphne? Very nice to be here. I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk about the Fresh Prince reunion, but I want to talk about your book of doors. Yes. Tell me. My book of doors. It came from um, an idea that some friends of mine had. I traveled a lot. I love to travel all over the world. And I have a background in interior design and architecture. So when I take a picture, it's usually a detail of something architectural. And I love to take pictures while I travel because I like the cultures that I can get engrossed in wherever I am. I like the craftsmanship, the colors, the textures. The, I like the smells. I like the way the light shines differently all over the world. So I always have a camera with me, and I take pictures. And I realized that I had taken most of the pictures that I had taken were doors. They were either flowers or doors. And I came to realize that they represent a metaphor for life. They represent adventure and curiosity and and passages of what's next in life and I thought hmm, let me start printing some of these pictures I got a I had a friend who uh, worked at a museum and she said why don't you have a gallery show of, of your pictures and I've got you got to be a photographic artist to do that and she said just do it <laughs> and I said okay and I was on the board of an art league and they had a blank month, the month of July. They didn't have anybody that they uh, scheduled to hang. I said, may, may I do a hanging of some of my prints? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what they expected, but I printed up a whole series of doors from around the world and framed them and hung them and held my breath. <laughs> and uh, they were well received. So... They were buying them off the wall. I said, oh, this is very interesting. So I started presenting my doors to different groups uh, in front of which I spoke. And they would book me for a luncheon and ask me to talk about my travel and my doors. And I did that so often that I said, no, I tell the same story all the time. Why don't I write it down? And I decided, okay, let's make this a book. And I did. And I went through the looking for a publisher route, and I got a meeting with one of the publishers of a friend of mine, and he gave me a lot of ideas after I showed him how I had mocked up the book. And he said, well, we don't want to publish that because it, it's not something you sell in a bookstore. It's something you sell in a gift shop, and we don't do that. I said, okay, thank you. And I took all of his ideas, and I put them together in my first book, and I published it myself. So the journey of going from just 
snapping pictures to becoming a published publisher and author was a wonderful journey that basically I started at age 60. You know, it's, it's fascinating about Doris, and the reason I say this is I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia on the Jersey side. And my parents had one of the original houses in our neighborhood. And, you know, the typical, you know, middle-class house in New Jersey. And our house was green. And my mom, for some reason, had a light orange door. And we could always tell people when, you know, because when you're driving down the street, and if you can't see door, the numbers sometimes, my mom would always tell people, it's the greenhouse with the orange door. And everybody knew that. And it's just the doors, people are drawn to doors because... Even when you go out, like if a door doesn't look open, you're apt not to go in sometimes. And it's now you, you've done a few of these books, though, right? I've done four of them. Uh, the first book was mostly of Italy, Marrakesh, Berlin, and ooh, oh, Cape Verde, Africa. And uh, it had a lot of description in it of why I was there, what I was doing there, what. Uh, what impression I got from looking at the doors, what impression I got from the culture. So I did two books that were like that. The second book was uh, Cuba, and it was the whole west side of the island, about eight different cities that I went to on a photographic tour. And it also talked about the community and the, the people as well as the doors, but it was only a book of doors. And then the last two that I wrote, one was of France, in three cities in France that I uh, was visiting, and I made it more of a catalog. And then there was, uh, the fourth book was Belgium, and it was Antwerp and Bruges in Belgium. And it was just some place that I went on a train from France, and, oh, let me see what's at this city. And I spent a couple of days there walking around and taking pictures of doors. Now, did, I, I'm a crazy girl. <laughs> did, did you self-publish these also? Excuse me? Did you self-publish these books also? I've self-published everything I've written. And now you've also written a cookbook. Yes, Grace okay, Soul and Mother Wit. Tell yeah. me, because I, I wrote a cookbook. I had a heart problem years ago, and I wrote a, I self-published it. It was a very cheap cookbook. It was called Stop the Salt. And it was a hundred low sodium recipes for one person, and it was just fascinating the whole the whole journey because I was sitting there, and the time I was my now wife, I was dating, and she was in here in New Jersey, and I was in L.A., and I would come back once a month. When she would go to work, I'd work on the book, and it's when you're self publishing in your mind, you never think you're going to get it done, but when you do, it's such a fascinating feeling. Yes, it took me forty years to finally publish it. But I've been gathering these recipes from all the people that I've worked with and visited with and gone to dinner with and picked brains and shared a meal. And I decided to make it a mini memoir because, no, I'm not a professional chef. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I couldn't write a valid cookbook uh, without having a lot more skill than I have. But I made it a mini memoir and talked about the recipes. Each recipe has a story about what that gathering meant to me, what this food meant to me. And it's in honor, basically, of my mother, who always loved to cook and loved to prepare food that she would serve with love. And she would like people to sit around 
and communicate with each other over her food. And I thought that was just a brilliant way to live. And I encourage people to sit down at the table and share some communications over loved that's awesome. It's just, as I said, it fascinates me. You've done so much. And we're going to get to the, the mask and the clerks, but let's get to the, let's get to the, uh, the reunion. Now that aired on HBO Max. Um, yes. Did, did you know the reunion was coming? Did you, or was it something that popped up out of the blue and they called you and said, hey, Daphne, we're going to do a reunion? Uh, we had a quick reunion in about March or April. Will just decided to have a Zoom call with all of us, and we laughed and talked, and I think in his mind, he was judging if we wanted to have a reunion, but <laughs> it didn't occur to us. So uh, we finally got an email, maybe in July, asking if we wanted to join him in a 30-year reunion, and uh, his production company was doing it, and we all said, uh, yeah, <laughs> so... He arranged it and said, this is going to be um, a secret project. You can't tell anybody about it. And we're going to keep you all separated. They booked us in separate hotels. They flew us all out separately. And they wanted us not to reunionize before we got to set. And because it was shot in September, there were a lot of protocols for the COVID-19. And he had everything so beautifully laid out and so so wonderfully organized that when we got to the set, we were the only ones who were unmasked because we had been tested for days before we um, did that. And we were allowed to be on the set unmasked, but everybody else was masked. And it was a comfortable shooting environment, but... The minute we hit that stage and saw each other and saw that the set had been recreated, it was it was like coming home. It was one of the most genuine family reunions that I've been a part of. Now, how did you get originally get on the Fresh Prince? I know you took uh, someone else's place. Were you, did you have to go through an audition process or did they call you or what happened? Because it must, and, and also it must be weird going onto a hit show being someone. It's like, I always say like when you see a band and they have a different lead singer, you're like, wait a second. What was, was it a long process for you to get the original job? Uh, it was a long process to audition. I had to audition against two or two or a hundred other women. And it took about two weeks and about four or five auditions. And each time I got called back, it was another group of women I'd never seen before in my life. But by the third audition, I got to um, work with James Avery on the audition. And I just fell in love with the guy. And we hit it off. And we performed the scene probably genuinely. And uh, I think they saw the chemistry between the two of us. And that's probably how I got that job. But I was thrilled that I had gotten it. I had been asked originally at the beginning of the show uh, to audition for it. But I had just come off of four or five uh, back-to-back series. And I, they said, well, we have an audition for you for a, um, 
a sitcom with a young rapper. And I said, no, thank you. I'm going home. <laughs> so I went to Virginia. We had just moved to a farm. And I was chilling out, relaxing. <laughs> and uh, turned on the TV that fall and saw the cutest show. I said, ah, that was a good one. <laughs> that's who that rapper is. Okay, that's fine. And when they called me three years later and asked me to come audition, it, it was just no question that I was on my way there. And I don't feel like I was replacing her. I was just taking a position in a family. I had been on hit shows before. I This was nothing new to me. They knew and respected the work that I had done. So it wasn't like they were testing me when I got there. They embraced me. And we just melded into a very cohesive group automatically. I think it was chemical. Now, what was it like meeting Mel? Cause, uh, Will? I mean, because, you know, you think of it now, you know, because I grew up near Philadelphia. So, everywhere, you know, I, even though I lived in L.A., everyone knew who Will Smith was. It's just a, it's a Philly thing, you know. And, you know, when you met him, did you think that at one point he would be one of the biggest stars in the world and I can honestly say that because he's crossed many genres what what was your first impression when you got on set was he just a goofy kid or what what, what was it he was a brilliant goofy kid who was as much in tune to the business side of show business <laughs> as he was the talent and acting side he was passionate about what he was doing. He gave 180% to rehearsals, which us actors really never do. <laughs> we just kind of walk through rehearsals and <laughs> hit my spot here, say these words, yeah, I'm going to turn here, okay, okay. No, he was on from every minute from the rehearsals. I said, this is a very passionate young man, and he's really into this. And he was also a sponge and a curious person. And I remember when my son was born and his eyes just kept darting around the room. I said, this is a curious child and I'm going to keep feeding him information because he's going to absorb all this information. And Will was that child to me. He was absorbing everything around him, having intelligent conversations with James Avery on literature and and philosophy and he was just a brilliant soul and he had what we call in the business that thing and Quincy saw that thing before Will knew he had it and he had that thing that I knew he was going to be successful I didn't know that his brilliance was going to make him as successful as he was and I think it's because he also understood the business side of working in this business. What was it like working on that set? Was What was the creative process with the cast and the writers and the creators? We would go in on Monday morning and they'd present us with the script and we kind of thumb through it and start a table read. As we are table reading, and the, there was a multiracial writing group, but mostly there were white men writing. 
and uh, they would write things that needed a little more nuance than they had. And we had the opportunity to express that nuance and tell them, well, this is how we would say it in our community, with our culture. Uh, I remember one time when uh, Tatiana was written to say some really smart-ass things to her father, and we all looked at each other, we said, mm, no, the little girl wouldn't have any teeth if she talked to her father <laughs> like that. No, no you, you can rewrite that look differently. <laughs> so we had the, the freedom to do that, and that was an exciting process to be a part of. And then on Tuesday, we walk it off and see where everybody's supposed to land so they can plant cameras on Wednesday as we rehearse. And then on Thursday, we would have a very good run-through rehearsal for the writers, for the producers, to make sure that the beats were where they should be and that the jokes were where they should be and that the story was progressing as they had intended it to be. On Friday, we would come in and uh, get all dressed up and get our energy up and shoot one whole show for the cameras. And we did it full bore, but without an audience. Then we'd go to dinner, and then after dinner, we'd do our touch-ups, and we'd head to Will's room where the music was jamming, <laughs> and we'd all get together and just dance and get our energy up and it was team building and it was praying and it was kind of uplifting our spirits for the show ahead knowing that we were there to entertain that audience and uh i remember dancing down the hall with james avery which i just treasured he was quite the dancer and we get to behind the uh, walls that they put up between the audience and the stage and we would start banging away on the percussion instruments that were in a little bucket back there and we would keep our energy up and it just was an introduction to the energy that we were going to have for the show then we'd each be introduced singly and then they'd move the walls and we'd start the show and the audience was all warmed up by the comedian and the DJ. It was a party every Friday night. Now, what do you think made your the unit, your the, everyone the cast so co a cohesive unit? Because you always hear stories that you know, and you know, it seems like you guys all got together great. But you hear stories where there's always a little bickering. But you guys seem just to be a a family. How did that happen? Was it just because you all respected each other or you were just all really great people? I mean, what do you think made this all such a smooth shit? I'm going to say we were all great people. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were talented, wonderful, warm, loving people and we all bonded. It was I I tell you, it was chemical. It was just an atmosphere of love that we still have. We are all very close. We, we've done the marriages of these children, the, the births of their children. It has remained a family since it was created. And it's a joy to have that family as close as my personal family. Now, 
when the series ended, did you guys see it coming? What was the whole, why did it end? The, after the fifth year, at the end of the fifth year, Will came to all of us and told us there will only be one more year. Um, we're going to go out on a high and I wanted to give you uh, guys the opportunity to decide what you want to do after this is over. So it's not a surprise that, oh, it's just not coming back. So it was planned that it was going to be the last year and they wrote it that way as well. So that the last episode was truly the last episode. Now, does that make you sad? Like when you're on a show and it's a great time, you know, and you get close to not only people don't, you know, I've been on sets before. But a lot of people don't know that you, you don't only just get close to the cast. You get close to the writers and the crew and the camera people. And a series that runs for a while, it's like a family, as we said. When you know it's going to be the last season, are you, are you sad inside? Or are you saying, we're going to make this the best season? I mean, what goes through your mind? Because you know it's going to end it's like anything like if you're if you're going if your mom says i have to leave i have to go away forever you know you're like oh my god what was it like i mean that, that when you first started shooting that last season uh it was a wonderful thing to know uh that the season was going to be the last season uh because i had been on oh 10 shows before this show I know that shows have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And most of the time, you don't know when the end is coming. And I have been very distraught by learning about the end as it's happening, <laughs> which is not a comfortable feeling. It's a, quite a letdown. But knowing that this is coming to an end gave you time to prepare to do something else and not be startled by falling off a cliff, which is what it feels like when it just stops. And a good example is Frank's Place. I mean, we were picked up for a second season, but then it was canceled after we got started with Wardrobe. It, I mean, it just went away. And that is a horrible feeling. So knowing that it's the end of a season coming is quite relieving. Well, as I was doing my uh, research, I... I stumbled upon an article about a certain guest star who you did not want to name in the article that was on this set. And I want to hear about that because, you know, it's weird. Everything, like Facebook per se, you know, Facebook was out of control a few weeks ago. And now it's like everyone's exiting the parlor. So now Facebook is like nice again. But it's just funny. I mean, it's it's true. I noticed that because... I mean, I just, which, and I'm not a very political person. My wife is very, very liberal. And she would, she would get so pissed when she'd see him on TV. She would like mute it. She would be like, I can't watch this. And I'm like, I just want to see the story. But what happened, and so everyone knows who we're talking about. What happened when he was a guest star? So you didn't shake his hand. No, no, no. I, I stayed as far away from him as I, I possibly could without looking rude. Um, no, I, I know of him. I knew of him from New York, and I thought he was a slimy, smarmy person, and I was not interested in being involved with being close to him, but thank goodness they didn't write for me to give him a hug when I got there, so I was able to stand by and 
be gracious without being rude. And no, I was not going to shake his hand. Now, a lot of people don't know that your career, well, you, 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 when you were at Northwestern, you got into modeling also. How did that happen? Because you were the first African-American woman on Glamour, I believe. How did, how did, how did you get into modeling, like, in, uh, in college? Like, you know, that's not like you don't think, like, hey, hey, someone's in college. Hey, you know, you hear people say they're going to be a model, but it doesn't happen. Oh, my junior high school English teacher <laughs> submitted me to Seventeen magazine that did a story on me about uh, getting a, a National Merit Scholarship and attending Northwestern University. So it was a real girl issue is what they called it. It was in January of 1967. It was my freshman year at college. And um, they did a full-page picture of me and told a little story about me getting a scholarship, along with other women who were real girls in that issue. I mean, it was the Betty Crocker Bake Off winner and the um, baton twirling champion from Ohio or something. And um, that issue got before Eileen Ford, who was one of the leading modeling agencies in New York. And uh, she called me and asked me to come see her. So when I was in New York, I stopped by and she said, I'd like you on my roster, lose five pounds, go take some pictures. Okay. And I went back to school. (laughs) So she uh, gave me a mentor named Amy Green who used to just call me at school and say, uh, come on into New York. I've got some uh, jobs for you for next week. Okay. That's when you could fly between New York and Chicago for $25 round trip on a student <laughs> fair. So I did. And um, I just kept going back and forth doing editorial work as they say I was a junior model because I had freckles so I couldn't be a top model because those were called blemishes back then and one day she called and said come oh just sit on the window over there wear this red uh, turtleneck and put this jacket on uh, just pull your hair over to the side put on some mascara and some lip gloss okay yeah 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 and I sat on the window and this guy came in and I don't think he took a full roll of film and she said, okay, that's done, uh, see you, and go back to school. I went back to school, and about two months later, I'm walking by the newsstand, and <laughs> that's my picture. <laughs> it was a surprise to me. They did not warn me or tell me that, oh, you're going to be on the cover. Now, how did, okay. how did students react to that? Were they like, oh, my God, you're on the cover? I mean, it's got to be, it's gotta be that different. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of interaction with students at Northwestern because I was working in Chicago. I was flying to New York. I was doing my studies and I was dating the football player. (laughs) So I didn't have a lot of community activity going on. Well, I know I also know you were a homecoming queen, but that wasn't a real great experience for you, right? Correct. It was a horrible experience and, uh, they just didn't want it to happen. I was the first black homecoming queen, and they were very pissed off and decided that it didn't mean anything, so they didn't put it in the yearbook. So well, I let them know that I, I thought that they didn't mean anything either. So <laughs> I told them, you're never going to get any money from me. But now you've, you've visited the college again, though, right? You sort of put some water under the bridge or no? 
I was uh, invited by the Black Alumni Association to get a Hall of Fame award because I was probably because I was doing Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and they asked me to tell them about my time at Northwestern and I told them the horror stories of being there and they called the president and said uh, you need to make an apology and he did. So there you go. That's awesome. So so you're you're a model, you're a student, you you know you Northwestern interior design major. Um for photography major or no, just interior design? Interior design and architecture was one. So you graduate. So how do you end up getting into acting? I graduated and was modeling still in Chicago, doing catalog work and working with uh, Scribnesky, who was one of the top fashion photographers that, in Chicago. And then I started doing commercials. I started auditioning for commercials and got some and... Then Robert Conrad came to town to do a show called The Duke. He was going to shoot in Chicago. And he discovered me and hired me and put me in that series. And then when I decided to leave Chicago, I called him when I got to L.A. And he said, oh, I got another show for you. And he put me in another show and I got an agent. And then I was in the right place at the right time. And I just kept working. Now, you also, it's funny, you're married to Tim Reed. And um, actually, I, right on my shelf, I have the book, Tim and Tom, about him and Tom. Yeah, and Tom's been on the show. Tom was just recently, Tom was on my show like eight years ago. And then Tom sent me a message to say, can he, he has a new book, can he come on? And I still remember I had that book. But now, how did you meet Tim? I met Tim in Chicago. We used to work together, uh, modeling, doing catalog work for Sears and all sorts of things. He was just another guy that I worked with. And when I moved out to L.A., all the Chicago people used to hang together, so... He asked me, I said, oh, you want to go out for a drink? And I said, okay, yeah. And a uh, five-minute drink turned into a five-hour date, and now it's been 40 years. Now, were you with him when you were shooting Frank's Place? Well, yeah. What was that like working with your husband? Because everyone says, you know, it's like you're at home. You're, it's, it must be, what is that like when you're on set with your husband? And I, it must, it's your, it must cause does it cause tension at all or um we worked together starting with wkrp i was on wkrp twice then we went to simon and simon and i played his girlfriend on simon and simon and then he did um frank's place and he didn't want me on frank's place but hugh wilson who was co-creator did <laughs> and so Hugh Wilson put me into that show. And working with my husband is difficult if he's in charge, but not difficult uh, for me because I know how to not be <laughs> under his thumb and to uh, speak up and stand my ground. So we had head bashings and we had lovely times. And we had many, many years of shows together because after Frank's Place, we did Snoops together for 13 episodes. Then we did a talk show called The Tim and Daphne Show. And then we built a studio together. Yeah, <laughs> and I, wanted... I ran the studio. Hang on just a second for me. Let me tell these people I'm going to be late. <laughs>
I want to hear about the studio because that's that's just like, what made you guys decide to build a studio and what kind of projects were you producing there? Tim had been producing in Los Angeles. He produced, um, he co-produced Frank's Place and then he produced Snoop's and he was the exec producer and the director and the writer and he was worn out by the end of Snoop's. So we moved to Virginia just to get his blood pressure down, basically. <laughs> he was just too busy. And um, he realized in Virginia that he could take control and create his own content, but he needed a facility, and they didn't have one in Virginia. So we got a couple of business people together and did some investigating and realized that they could use a film studio in Virginia, and we decided to build it. So we did. We found partners. We, the city of Petersburg gave us some land uh, for economic development, and we created series there. We did a series called Links for Showtime. We did feature films there. Asunder is still uh, running on probably Netflix or something. We created a lot of work in uh, Virginia, except the whole industry was changing, and people were now looking to go to places like Toronto where they were giving tax credits. We could not encourage the state to give us, to instigate tax credits. So a lot of our clients left. We had a deal with CBS and uh, they needed to shoot somewhere where they could get tax credits. And they said, well, I'm sorry, we, we can't come there. So we started doing independent productions then and he documentaries. He got very deep into documentaries. So he helped create TV One and program their uh, launch for the first year and after a while we just got tired of producing and distributing and it was we couldn't as they say find good help <laughs> so we said okay there's enough of this and um, sold the studio and now he has a little studio <laughs> and he's still creating documentaries and he just put up a um a streaming service with a lot of different stories and documentaries and movies and things where he has trained all of these young filmmakers from all over the world. And his, he has an institute that uh, is a nonprofit institute that trains filmmakers and he has filmmakers from London and Nigeria and all over South Africa. And they are now producing their own work and feeding his streaming network. So he's been training and he's in hog heaven and I don't work with him anymore. So you, that's how life is. You, <laughs> you've done so much. Now, how, how did the clothing design become? I know you have, you make the, 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 the lovely jackets and then we talked about the masks, but tell me how you got into clothing design and do you have, do you do the whole concept you do the design and then pick what fabric it is to be? Tell me how someone designs, like you design those jackets. How does one design jackets? I um, usually design from the fabric. And I have been making my own clothes since I was 10 years old. So it was nothing new to create something for me. 
and I fell in love with Chinese silk brocades and decided to make some things out of the Chinese brocade. And every time I wore them, people stopped me in the street and said, where did you get that? And I said, I made it. And they said, well, make me one. I said, no. <laughs> so finally, for Tim's Institute, he was going to hold a fashion show. And he says, I want you to make a line of those coats for the fashion show. I said, okay. And I made a line and sold them off the runway. So I started a business that I didn't want to be all-encompassing, so I said I'm starting a custom business. So I custom make them. And I've made probably, in total, 40 or 50 of them. And um, I sell them as you would sell um, statement jewelry, because that's what they are. They, You can wear them with jeans or you can wear them with a gown, but it, it's like the accoutrement that you put on top of something else and I call them toppers now how about the masks I want to see some of the masks I, I know you grabbed your bag and you know as I said it's such a perfect time my wife yells at me because my mask my friend made a line of masks and I have it and mine's falling apart okay so okay. this is one it was a bunch of fabrics that I had had in my collection um, for years and you know the pandemic came so I said well let me do something with these fabrics and I decided to make some masks and I went through a lot of different um, patterns until I decided which one I wanted to use and then I make them with a HEPA filter inside so that you can <clears throat> take the filter out and wash the mask and then put it back in and it also is a very protective mask it's not an M95 or whatever that is <clears throat> but this is what they look like Okay, that's good to know. See, they're great. See, a pocket in it, and the filters inside the little pocket. You're you're a Renaissance woman. What can I say? I am. <laughs> now, I, I, I want to get back real quick to the uh, the reunion. Um, what was it like? Because James is gone, and that must have been very hard, just for the fact that you know. Everyone loved this character. Empty space, yes. So, what is it like when you get together? Is it more? Were you? Is it more of a celebration, or is there a, a sadness? I mean, how do you how do you handle something like that? We cry every time we see a memorial to James. He was such a big part of the show, and he was such a big part of my life um, <clears throat> that it, it it always makes me miss him when we talk about him. And that's what happened at the reunion as well. We all miss him. Now, what was it like? I heard it was the first time you met Janet. What was what was that like? Because I know she left with Will and her had issues. It must was there. Could you feel tension, or was it all just relaxing when she came on set? I had nothing to do with it, so I'm standing aside to let the original Aunt Viv reconnect with her family. And after she got through being greeted by all of them, I just opened my arms and gave her a big hug and told her to that she's welcome home. So and just we just kind of fell into each other's arms, and hopefully, all the people who have been stirring up all this controversy between the two of us kind of realized well, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I never 
So I don't know how they developed this controversy between us, but they had favorites. Okay, you're allowed to have, you're allowed to like her more than you like me. That's fine. It, it does nothing to my life for you to like somebody else. So uh, I never got involved in any of that controversy. And all I could do was what I would do as a person, which is hug them. That's what I do with people. <laughs> now, what is next for you? I mean, it, it's it's hard to ask, as I said, is there another book? Is there more doors? Is Are you thinking of, you know, it's, I mean, you're the only person I know who's done four books of doors. I mean, if I went up and took a picture of someone's door, they'd yell at me and throw stuff at me. They'd be like, get away from me. What What's next for you? Because, you know, are you going to keep making the masks? Are you going to keep making clothes? Do you want to, are you going to still act? What What do you want to do? Because you seem like you, you've done so much, but I feel like that's only like, only like a percentage of what you actually want to do. And I'm going to continue doing all the things that I've been doing. I'm still making masks. I'm right now. I'm in a hotel bubble getting ready to shoot a show here in Richmond um, next week. So they put us in a hotel and we have to quarantine for a week and test. And then we can go to work. It's part of the protocol that uh, Screen Actors Guild has set up. So I'm still acting. Whenever anybody asks me to, I mean, I have no control over that. You have to wait to be chosen when you're an actor. So in the meantime, I'm making masks. I have uh, boards that I am very involved with, and I've decided to make masks for one of my boards so that they can raise money. So I've got the fabric here in my sewing machine, and I'll be whipping up those masks while I'm here. And I also keep taking pictures so there's probably going to either be another note card collection or another book and i do a calendar every year and it's all available on my website so come see me come by keep me in business well i want to thank you daffy this was great um it's just good to catch up with you i had to cancel last time i had a health thing come up but um thank you for coming on now do you do any social media do you tweet or instagram or anything I Instagram. I'm very Instagrammable. It's Miss Daphne thirteen. M S Daphne thirteen. And I'm there and I have a website, Daphne Maxwell dot com and it shows everything that I've been doing. It does, yeah. You have, you have all um, the you have all the cards and everything. It's a great website. So thank pe- you. People go check out Daphne's work. Go buy a mask. Wear your masks. I'm serious. I'm tired of people not wearing masks. I'm stuck Please. inside. I've been stuck inside. I go. Me and my wife went for our one-year anniversary. We couldn't fly anywhere. We went to upstate New York, and we came back, and we've been model citizens, and now New Jersey, it's all starting again, and I'm going crazy, and she goes to the office, and she comes home, and so people, buy a mask. Go get a mask, and she has nice masks. It's not one of those little crappy surgical Wear ones. them. So, Wear these masks. They're, they're not just protecting you they're protecting me exactly. and i think you should be concerned about that <laughs> so people go check out our website uh, check out my website coopertalk.net you can find over 800 episodes email me cooper at coopertalk.net twitter at coopertalk instagram at coopertalk1 remember i'm steve cooper i'm only as hip as my guests and don't forget drink your water take your vitamins eat your vegetables and i'll talk to you guys next time